You are listening to episode 12 of Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written in red by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 23, Diurnia System, 2358, July 18th. So you've found my little present, Mr. Burnside said as he relieved me at 1745. Sorry? I really had no idea what he was talking about. He pointed to the console. I left you a little something, since you were having so much fun cleaning. Oh, that. I shrugged. Forgot all about it, but thanks for your consideration. I tried to keep my voice carefully neutral. He just snickered. But then his expression changed as if he'd suddenly remembered something. He motioned me over to the bridge wing where we could have a bit of privacy. I talked to Aponis this afternoon, he began. Really? Something I should be aware of, I asked. Yes, actually. He paused. You were out of line. He said it very seriously. I was out of line. I repeated it back, trying to figure out if I'd seen Opponus some other time during the day than when he and Mosler were assaulting Nart. What exactly did you talk to Mr. Opponus about? The little incident in the gym. He was giving me the stern, superior to junior officer look. I glanced over to where Mallory was relieving Jackson, and Burnside stepped into my line of sight, backing me up into the bridge wing a little further and blocking my view. I'm talking to you, Wong, he said sharply but softly. You are not to interfere with my watchstanders, ever. Are we clear? He bit off each word. Interfere with your watchstanders? It shouldn't have surprised me, but the sheer stupidity of it took me off balance. Aponis and Mosler were assaulting Nart, I said, trying to keep my voice down. What was I supposed to do? Walk away, he said. Aponis is on my watch. If there is a problem, you come to me. I stared at him. Do you hear me, Wong? He was right in my face. You must be joking, I said. You think I'm going to walk away? He cut me off with a hard fist, once, right up under my ribcage, which drove me back into the bulkhead and left me trying to suck air back into my lungs. The pain was amazing, and I thought I was going to keel over right there. Be quiet, Wong, he snapped. Listen, listen good. You do not ever interfere. I was sagged against the bulkhead. If he hadn't been standing so close to me, my feet probably would have slid out from under me. My world was narrowed to a gray tunnel and an aching gut punch. After one last glower in my face, he turned back to the bridge and stepped over to the console. I have the watch, Mr. Huang. Logged at 2358, July 18th, at 1745 per standing order. He announced it loudly. Juliet knew something was wrong. Something about the way I was leaning against the bulkhead, or perhaps it was the redness in my face and the way I was trying to wheeze air back into my lungs. She started to say something, but I caught her eye and shook my head once, nodding at the ladder. I managed to stumble upright and cross the bridge without staggering. I did stumble a little on the bottom of the ladder where she was waiting. She caught me by the arm. Are you all right, Sar? she asked. I managed a weak chuckle as her question echoed mine from earlier in the day. It was, rather, an inane question when viewed from this side. The movement was easing the cramp, though, and I was able to get almost a full breath again. A little disagreement with the first mate, I said. Nothing to be concerned about. She eyed me dubiously. 
Anybody ever tell you you're a terrible liar, sir? She asked after a moment. Yes, Miss Jackson, they have, on numerous occasions. I keep practicing in hopes that someday I'll get better. She nodded. Keep practicing, sir. She glared up the ladder and then back at me. Miss Jackson, I said, gathering her attention. It's almost time for dinner, mess. Shouldn't you be heading in that direction? Yes, sir, she said. I was just waiting to see if you'd fall down when you let go of the ladder rail, sir. It's not often you get to see an officer fall over from a little disagreement, and I thought it might be instructive, sir. I snorted a soft, painful laugh. The sudden contraction stabbed at me, but at least my sense of humor wasn't permanently damaged. Have you ever considered the Academy, Miss Jackson? I asked. Me? No. What would make you say something like that? I shook my head and could feel the crooked grin on my face. No particular reason, Miss Jackson. I let go of the ladder and walked with as much dignity as I could down the passage. Behind me I heard Juliet snort, but head for the mess deck. I let myself into my stateroom without falling down or throwing up. I could hear the shower running in the head, so I sat down on my bunk and curled up around the pane, letting myself deal with it for the first time now that I had a little privacy. In a few ticks, the shower cut off, and after a few more, I heard a soft rap. I straightened up from the near-fetal curl and tried to compose myself a bit before I reached up and released the latch. Arletta was in her terry robe and still rubbing her hair with a towel. How was... My God, what happened to you? she said. Oh, hi, a neighbor, I said lightly. Hi, a neighbor? That's my answer? she asked. She was frowning at me, but it looked more concerned than angry. What makes you think anything happened? I asked, trying to sit upright but still feeling my shoulders curling inward. Hmm, she said in a considering tone. Might have something to do with the fact that you're sitting there hunched over like somebody kicked you in the jewels and your face looks like you've been punched in the gut. I nodded appreciatively. One out of two, not a bad average. She blinked at me as she processed what I was saying. Somebody kicked you in the jewels? She asked incredulously. No, punched in the gut, I said, and stopped trying to pretend it didn't hurt. Who punched you in the gut? She asked. When I didn't answer right away, she said, Burnside. She made the name a curse. I sighed and nodded. I interfered with his watchstander. You what? She asked, but then almost immediately added, This is about Nard, isn't it? Yeah, I admitted. Apparently. I looked up at her. How do you know about it? Ula came to me this afternoon, she said. Thanks for standing up for her, but you have to be more careful. Those two are bad news. They're crew, I said. They're mean, vicious, and stupid, she spat. Being an officer won't protect you from that. Nor from Burnside, apparently, I said. What happened? She stepped into my stateroom and took the guest chair. She smelled wonderful. Warm, clean, soapy. I tried not to think too much about her bare knees poking out from the bottom of her robe. When he came to relieve the watch, I said, focusing on her eyes, he twitted me about what a mess he'd left on the bridge and called it his little presence since I liked cleaning so much. Wait, he what? She interrupted. He left a mess on the console, apparently on purpose so I'd have something to clean. I shrugged and winced. Stupidly juvenile, coffee on both sides of the desk. Took a whole tick to clean up. If he does that to me, she started, but petered off as I just looked at her. Yeah, well. After that, he took me over to the bridge wing, and we had a little discussion over my interference with his watchstander. He backed me into the corner there, and while Mallory was relieving the watch, he snuck one up under my ribcage. What were you supposed to do? Those thugs were assaulting a crewman. 
she asked, getting angry by the tick. His words? Walk away, I said. You can't do that. It's illegal, she said. What, like punching an officer? Well, that's illegal too, but if you'd walked away and something happened, if it came out that you'd been there and done nothing, they'd take away your ticket. At least, I agreed. At least, she said. But you're forgetting one thing, I pointed out. What? Who's the law here? We're governed by the rules and regulations set forth by the Confederated Planets Joint Committee on Trade. That's illegal, she sputtered. But who's the law here? I asked again, with the emphasis on here. Rossett, she said, her indignation collapsing as the reality hit her. It's only illegal if you can make a case to the authorities, I pointed out. We can't do anything in space, and we'll have no standing once we make port if the captain won't back us. We sat there, silently contemplating the situation. He's going to be even more insufferable, you know, she said. Which one, I asked. Burnside or Epona's? She closed her eyes in resignation. I was thinking Burnside, but you're right. My tablet pinged to remind me that it was almost time for dinner in the wardroom. Arletta stood and slipped back through the door to the head. I better get dressed, she said. Grab a quick shower and I'll walk down with you. I nodded and she closed the door on her side as I slipped gingerly out of my clothes and into the shower. The hot water felt good. Chapter 24, Diurnia System, 2358, July 18th. By the time Arletta and I got to the wardroom, Mel and Freddie were already there and waiting. Arletta did the sorry-we're-late routine, and I got into my chair without incident. We're just admiring the handiwork, Mel said, with a wave around the room. It registered then. The room was immaculate. The tablecloth was really white, so white I hadn't realized it wasn't before. The cutlery and glassware gleamed. And more, the room itself was perfect. I glanced down at the deck and around at the bulkheads and even up at the overhead. Did she do this all this afternoon? I asked. Freddy smiled and nodded. I came down here this afternoon and they were going to town. It was quite a party. When I saw them in here, I backed out. But Miss Davies brought me a little pot of coffee to take back to my stateroom. Miss Davies stepped through the door with a serving tray just at that moment, and she smiled at us warmly. It was my pleasure, sir, she said. I know you like a little coffee in the afternoon, so I was ready. It was most considerate, Penny, thank you, she said. And you and your colleagues did a wonderful job here. We had fun, actually, sir, she said with a pretty smile. She served us with her usual competence while she talked. Karen, Ula, and Vicky helped, she said. Vicky, Arletta asked, Van Dallen from Power? Yes, sir, Penny agreed. We had more people who were willing to help, but that's all we could fit in here and still have room to work. That's amazing, I said. Thank you for all your hard work. She smiled, pleased by the praise. You're welcome, Sars. Thank you for speaking to Mr. Voorhees, Mr. Huang. We're going to have a field day on the mess deck tonight, and he's made one of his cakes for dessert afterwards. It should be fun. A field day? Mel asked. Yes, Sar. Mr. Huang suggested that perhaps if we got the mess deck cleaned up a little more, the crew would sit there and drink coffee. That way we wouldn't have to pick up coffee cups from all over the ship all the time. A bunch of the crew was offered to help, she finished. And Mr. Voorhees is making a cake, Freddy asked. Oh, yes, sir, she nodded. He makes the most amazing cakes, but only for special occasions. Mel and Freddy shared a look. Mr. Voorhees is a man of hidden talent, it seems, Mel commented dryly. What time's the party, I asked. Twenty hundred, she answered, after we've had a chance to get the dinner mess cleaned up. Did you have much trouble rounding up people to help? Arletta asked. Penny shook her head. No, sir. 
After people saw this space, and how nice it looks, everybody wanted to fix up the mess deck, too. By then she'd finished serving and stood back with her tray. Is there anything else I can get you, Sars? she asked. No, thank you, Miss Davies, Mel said formally. You've been very helpful. She ducked her head, almost shyly, and left through the pantry. Well, wonders never cease, I said, as I tucked into dinner. Ishmael, Mel asked. Was this what you expected when you brought this up over breakfast today? I shook my head. No, I just thought maybe we could get the wardroom cleaned. When I saw Mr. Voorhees this morning, he mentioned his problem with the coffee cups all over the ship. I shrugged gingerly. The rest is history. How did it spread so far? Freddy asked. Ulla and Penny are bunkies, Arletta said. Ishmael is taking on a certain romantic flavor with some of our younger and more impressionable female crew, she teased me. Oh, not just the younger ones, Freddy said with a wink in my direction. I sighed. This is getting out of hand. Mel grinned. Ishmael, we're only ten days into a ten-week trip. If you think it's bad now, wait till we get to break all. I was hoping things would calm down as the novelty wore off, I countered. They better, or you may not live to see Breakall, Arletta said darkly. Mel and Freddy thought she was kidding and chuckled. I knew she wasn't. Knowing that there was a party planned, we didn't dawdle over dinner. Miss Davies seemed pleased when she came back with the desserts at 1915, and we were ready for them. I just took coffee. Arletta excused herself entirely. Midwatch, I need a nap, she said with a smile. Freddy and Mel each had pie with their coffee, and I sat with them while they ate it. I wanted to ask Mel about Burnside, but I didn't know how to broach the subject. It's not like a junior officer can actually complain about a senior officer to another senior officer without repercussions. I discovered something today that I hadn't expected, I announced to the table at large. Mel looked up thoughtfully. I suspect you did, Ishmael, she said with careful expression on her face. Do you care to share? It's not our ship, I said. Freddy and Mel both stared at me like I'd grown a second, or possibly third, head. Freddy spoke first. Meaning what? she asked. I had a discussion with my watch on the bridge this afternoon. They were concerned that it might not be appropriate for them to assist with the mess deck cleanup this evening. That must have been early in the watch, because that movement was gaining momentum by 1500, Mel said. It was, I agreed. But I was poleaxed when they asked me if I thought it was proper for them to offer to help. It's not their job, not their duty station, so they were concerned that somebody might think, I'm not sure what, that somehow it would be inappropriate for non-mess deck hands to work on cleaning up the mess deck. I can't say I'm surprised, Freddy chipped in. The emphasis here is do your job and mind your business. I don't think I've ever been on a ship this dysfunctional. It's because they don't think it's their ship, I said. They don't clean it. They don't care for it. They don't care for each other. It's not their ship. Well, of course it's not their ship, Mel said. It belongs to the company. Yes, but that's the point. All the ships everywhere belong to somebody, and it's almost never the crew. Only the family co-ops actually share ownership of the ships with the crew. They nodded in agreement before Mel asked, So what's the point, Ishmael? The point is that every other ship I've ever been on, from the lowest to the bad penny, and through all the summer cruises... Every other crew saw the ship as theirs. My ship, my crew, my duty, my responsibility, my family even. I looked at them to see if they understood what I was saying. Mel looked skeptical. Isn't that a bit metaphysical for this bunch? I shook my head. It's not a conscious decision or I'd agree with you. I think there's something that makes most people identify with their ship. 
before the billy, I'd have said everybody. But it was clear that my bridge crew has no connection to the ship other than a place to move from A to B while being sexually assaulted and harassed. Freddy stiffened at that, but Mel said, That's a bit harsh, isn't it, Ishmael? Not to Miss Dang, I said. Not to Ula Nart. Not to Teresa Jaffe. Harassed, maybe, but sexual assault, she pressed. Yes, Freddy said softly. That's the correct term. Mel looked at Freddy curiously, but didn't press it. Instead, she turned back to me. So what's your conclusion, Ishmael? If it's not their ship, then they're not really crew, just a bunch of people who happen to work in the same place. No unity, no interdependence. It becomes easy to beat up on each other, easy to have a what's-in-it-for-me attitude. Mel said, well, it's my ship. Mine, too, I told her. But you said yourself that it was difficult even getting them to wear clean ship suits. I think that's why. They're all just drifting through until somebody gets hurt, and then that person leaves. What about this mess deck cleanup party, Mel asked. How does that fit into your theory? I think it's a simple affiliation thing. They want to belong. Until now, there wasn't really anything to belong to. The captain doesn't even belong. That's a huge message. As far as I can tell, the only communication he has with the crew is through disciplinary action. And they're all coming together now because we have a Wonder Boy third mate? Mel asked with a grin, which took the sting out of what might have been a full-hand slap. What are we, chopped liver? I don't know, I admitted. It doesn't seem possible. You've had some luck with the engineering crew, just judging from the state of the engineering spaces, which are head and shoulders above the regular deck spaces. I'm not hearing about rampant abuse in the engineering department. Mosler, Freddy said. He's a bad one. Mel sighed. Yeah, Mosler. I've tried to get rid of him more than once. Burnside always overrides me with a captain. Mosler and Aponis, Aponis and Mosler. How have those two managed to stay employed here? They're David Stooges, Freddy said frankly. Mel frowned at her, but Freddy turned her head. No, Mel, you have to admit it. David uses them to find female crew members that he, in turn, can use and abuse. They get his cast-offs and his protection. There's nothing we can prove, but you and I both know that's what's going on. Mel sighed. Yeah, probably. Not probably. Remember that spacer apprentice three trips ago? We were inbound from Dre. Alice something. Oh, Mel looked at the tablecloth as if trying to read the name there. Stewart. Alice Stewart. Yes, thank you. That would have kept me awake all night trying to remember, Freddie said with a smile. Remember her? She actually recorded her own rape. Mel sighed. Yeah, brave girl. Freddy turned to look at me. She saved the recordings and took them to the civil authorities when we got to port. Bypassed the first mate. Bypassed the captain. Took it straight to the authorities. For all the good it did. What happened? I asked, although I knew I wasn't going to like the answer. <sighs> she recanted after we'd been docked for two days. Refused to press charges, Freddy said. Captain released her from her contract and left her here. Why did she do that? I'd have thought she wanted to nail them. Mel spoke up then. Don't know, Ishmael. Might have had something to do with falling down the bridge ladder and breaking her arm. They broke her arm? I was aghast. I couldn't believe it. Freddy shrugged. Mosler and Aponis were sure at the time. Couldn't have been them. A suspicion sprouted in the back of my mind. Let me guess. David was OOD. Mel nodded and said, On her way back for medical on the orbital, she stomped at orbital security and withdrew her complaint. The next day she was gone. Freddy finished her coffee and put the empty down on the table. Hard enough to bang. 
She closed her eyes and took a deep breath. I think I'll go to my stateroom for a while, she said softly. She rose and left. I looked at Mel, who was staring after her friend with a troubled look on her face. Outside in the passage, I could hear the party starting up on the mess deck. Mel heard it, too, and turned to me. Well, I suppose I should go help, I said. Mel shook her head. This is their party. Visit tomorrow and admire, but tonight leave them alone. She stared into my face for a few heartbeats. You can't turn them into a crew. It's something they'll have to do for themselves. All we can do is give them some protection while they do it, she added. I sighed, figuring what that protection might cost me and what it might gain. You'll earn no brownie points with the captain, she pointed out. I'm mostly just worried about surviving it, I admitted. I'm counting on self-interest and cowardice to prevent outright murder. What if they make a mistake and do it anyway, she asked. I shrugged. That's the part that scares me. Thanks for listening to Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. The music is a medley of jigs, eavesdroppers, both meat and drink, and Off We Go by Great Big C from their self-titled debut album. Find this and other songs by Great Big C at music.podshow.com. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For a website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com. Music